Sam. Hey, Julia. How's it going? It's going pretty good. What are we up to today? We just had a conversation with the wonderful Will Aronson. It, he is wonderful. What does he do? He is a composer. He is an amazing composer. That he is. And a super interesting guy. Yeah. Let's listen in. first time that we figured out how to turn that thing to be time instead of measure numbers. Oh, yeah. So we'll know how long we've been talking about how many measures in we are. That's really funny. We'll get like 45 minutes in and be like, how long have we been talking? And it'll look and it'll be like, measure 1,233. Right. Well, how long, how many measures is your average interview? Oh, my God. We've never actually. Oh, that's an interesting That's so fun. Like we've reached the thousandth measure. It's I mean, it depends. I don't know. It, I don't know if it's always consistently on a on a. But tempo, I was going to say, though. most importantly, all of our interviews are at 120 beats per minute. Yeah. Oh, are they? I think that's the <laughs> default. Okay, well then, in that case, they they probably are. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. I always feel such shame whenever. Sometimes, if not often, I write a piece of music that's at 120 beats per minute, and I feel so dumb. Because you're like, I'm a template. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I can relate to that, Sam. I don't. I don't know if you've uh, had that experience as a singer. I haven't. Um, but uh, there was are, are you making a joke or are you being serious? No, well, well, I was sort of making a joke about it as a singer if there's an equivalent. But I, <gasps> it's definitely true that as a composer, I occasionally will like. So I'll be like, oh, it's in C major four four, and it's at 120. <laughs> what a coincidence! <laughs> but, but this is what it is. Here we go. <laughs> and then I sometimes also will make it at like 132, even though I sort of think it should be 120. Right. You're just like just to make it, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that's because there is some sort of like implicit reason like humans like 120 or have we just been trained because it's the template? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know why it is the template. Like, right, which yeah. came first, the chicken or the template? Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> There's nothing special oh. about it. I mean, musically, right? Like if you were going to pick a template, other than that people say it's the one that's easy to get because you think of that march. Wait, you think of that march? I don't like know if that. you have to. I was always told that one twenty. If you had to guess a tempo, you think da 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 da, da and that's supposed to be a good approximation. This is the first I've heard of this. Me too. Really? I think I heard that like six. I think of it as isn't sixty beats per minute would be like a second. One beat a second. Right. So yeah. I think of it. But then again, I don't exactly know what a second is. But I, right. I thought 120. I thought the only thing we had to go on <laughs> was twice as fast as a second. But now I know. Because a second isn't necessarily like a normal body rhythm. Wait, right. let's all yeah, try to do it. Point. I want to like close our... Well, I don't I have to no experiment. I, well, okay. Well, I'm, I'm up for trying it. But I, well, I have no idea what tempos are. I, I'm always <laughs> surprised. Like I always get out the metronome after yeah. the song is written and go, oh, that's... That's the tempo. Well, all right. <laughs> I have to say, we just got back from San Diego doing this show. And for the first time, we were working with a music director who was always on metronome throughout rehearsal and performance. Mm. And I actually fell in love with it because I feel like in past processes, whoa, processes, I have a lot of touchy-feely conversations about tempo and if it feels fast or feels slow. Right. And this, if a tempo felt weird, you know, I'd say it. We'd like turn the metronome to a different thing, adjust the marking, and it was all much more like. That's so fun. I also just had that experience, and I also loved it because <laughs> I think for me tempos do keep changing. Like I usually write it at one tempo, and at in the time around after I've written it, any other tempo sounds completely wrong to me. <laughs> but then I'll sometimes have the experience like years later the show exists in some form and I'm used to the song at whatever tempo I ended up at and I hear the original I'm like what is that tempo uh -huh. it's horrible it's wrong and it's weird because I do think sometimes you have to insist on certain things that musically you're hearing mm -hmm. but also with like room to evolve which is tricky and I think sometimes music directors have been there 
like in the past have been there before me. They'll say, this song needs to be faster. And I'll be like, no, I hear it at this tempo. And then actually you see it in the context of the show and it starts speeding up kind of naturally with the actors. You know, just the actors naturally want to go faster. And then... I adjust without realizing it. Yeah, and then I that do happens. find that like, I'm very conditionable. That if right. I hear something in a different tempo, like enough, that starts to feel like the true tempo. Yeah. But I hadn't thought about that layer of it that the music director is actually bringing this sort of expertise of looking at a whole piece of like tempo sense. Right. And I don't know how much it may be instinctual. Uh, like, I'm sure actors, like music directors, there's a whole range of whether it's intellectualized, whether it's instinctual. But I definitely feel like I try to strike the balance between. Okay, I feel it one way. Someone else has a different instinct. Do I need to hold on to my original intention? Or is this a case where they're, they're hearing the piece more correctly before I am because they've discovered something or just intuit that? And Yeah, but, but, but it's, it's never just one. I wish it was yeah. that either right. yeah. I'm always right, just stick to what you know, <laughs> or they're always right, always just do what anyone tells you. But it actually seems to be, it, it varies, you know? Yeah, that's, well... So, you know, I prepared a lot of questions for this interview. Um, (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, And a lot of them came back to, like, the nature of collaboration, just because I know that you have a lot of collaborators just as as writers and obviously as directors, actors, anyone else that you're working with. But um, that, like, I, I think it's, well, my first question is, like, is that by design or did you, like, because, you know, I feel like, the like there's you know there's like Kander and Ebb and like Rogers and Hammerstein and like these like teams that are have become um when, when people think about writers they think about these teams um who like oh I guess that's a bad example because like Oscar Hammerstein wrote with other people and Richard Rogers wrote with other people but like but yeah, but you think point, of them right, as right. this Absolutely team right. so like did, was that in your head at all as you like embarked on this career and like ended up writing I mean, pretty consistently with different people, but with a bunch of different people. That's, it's a really great question. And I feel like the first thing is, I wish I knew I could like distinguish between by design and not by design. Yeah. Like I don't even often know that. Sure. Like writing or in life or whatever of like, is this what I was doing because something was leading me to do it? Or is it happenstance and now it feels right because it's what I do? You know, I, I uh, can't even tell but 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 I can but there's still stuff in there of like like what you know I I guess I could actively have tried to change it or if I I felt really strongly so that makes me think there might be a little bit of design mixed in with the happenstance so but at the time it felt like happenstance yeah I would say that it would be uh the case where say I would either meet or be introduced to a writer or a writer would approach me um and it would be about a particular story and a particular writer's voice where they would get me really excited about something and they would say, this is my vision. Um, here's what I want to do. Do you want to like be on board for that? And I'm like, oh, that sounds really exciting. And so part of it may be responding to that collaborator's voice. I mean, certainly, you know, in my most recent collaborations, say uh, Sarah Hammond and Hugh Park are probably the people I've been working the most with. And... Yeah, so I think that there's the excitement about what their their voices are and the st- their approach to storytelling, which is all, always very idiosyncratic. I think when, you know, with great writers, they just have a certain perspective that often is exciting. You know, if you're a, if it's a good collaboration, then it's exciting to you. So, yeah, that's it's sort of finding that inspiration. So I would say I definitely get inspiration from the people I'm working with, and in these cases, 
yeah, they just get you excited about about working with them. So it's interesting that thing about is it what happened to me or is it by the, by design? Because I feel like in in the musical theater business, it's so hard to have control over anything that I feel mm-hmm. I feel like if I tried to do too much by design, I would just well, be that's so true. frustrated. Yeah, yeah, that that it could that makes a lot that yeah resonates with me as like. I don't want to say survival mechanism. That makes it sound very desperate. I mean, this is musical theater after all, but there is something about how, you know, you can burn out on it quickly or lose inspiration or lose the excitement about working. And it may be that if you're able to sort of adjust to a kind of go with the flow, see what happens to a certain extent, then that may allow you to keep your your kind of um, excitement or inspiration intact. As yeah. opposed to like, I had a vision for what my life would be, uh-huh. it is not happening. <laughs> I'm getting angrier and angrier and more and more bitter. What's happening? You know, like. Well, that's. Well, did you have a vision for what your life would be no. like? No. Okay. And I, at, not at all. And at, I never, ever. Ne- not. No. I mean, uh, no. No, actually. <laughs> I was trying to think, like, when I was really young, did I? But, mm. but even then, I don't. I don't think I ever did. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I, uh, I think that ha- helps me. I mean, in the yeah. sense that I've never had a moment where I was like this isn't where I thought I'd be. It was yeah. sort of, well, I didn't think I would be anywhere. Like it never, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, the plan was always much shorter term. Sure. Like, oh, I see myself next year having a job. You know, like something <laughs> like that, but not like, yeah, yeah. and in five years, X, Y, Z, it was more like, you know, I want to hit these small benchmarks that are a little more, yeah, they're yeah. not gigantic dreams really. I think about it sometimes with you, with how you ended up at NYU for musical theater writing. Because I think of you as a composer who composed in a bunch of different styles. And I always feel like lucky that we got you. Oh, Oh, well, I feel the same way about you, Julie. I love your music. And I was really excited about it the first time I heard it at NYU. I don't know if you remember. You used to make me all these mix CDs. Because I'd be like, wait, I heard you did this thing. Can you make me a mix CD of that? Oh, my God. Like you did film scoring and you did. Yeah. I remember our very first AABA assignment giving you we were in separate labs it was like two thursday labs and you were like oh can i see your score and i gave you my score of the first song i'd done in this program and you were like oh like it's so cool how you've constructed this melody was the one about the gardenias and yeah, death yeah. Uh-huh. oh death gardenia I, song yes. was right wasn't it yes <laughs> okay right but you like you had something about like how the melody was like structured in a certain way which was 100 percent not intentional but I, I felt so smart and cool well i sound insufferable but <laughs> but i'm sure i loved it i you know but yeah i, I definitely remember immediately that first week hearing your music and just loving it but Aww, thank you but how did you come to decide like musical theater that's where I want to be uh this is one of those things where I've probably told this to people over the years and that now it becomes hard to distinguish the truth from what I've said about it what I so I'm, I'm gonna try to be as truthful as possible what I remember is well so so my I I took piano lessons in middle school I started taking piano lessons uh from uh you know, local town piano teacher. Um, Because, yeah, I was interested in music generally. I, I, it wasn't a specific, wait, no, no, it was kind of specific. Yes, it's coming back now (laughs) as I started to talk about it. It was, um, it was, I used to tape uh, film scores off the TV on my cassette player. Mm. And I remember, and I would then, I would always be listening to them. Like before bed, I would just be like, put the, you know, play the, the cassettes that I was taping off. And the would movies. you therefore get the dialogue too? The dialogue, yes. Was <laughs> I didn't realize at that point that that they they sell these things, but um, <laughs> uh, so I would have these homemade soundtracks. So I would only record the sections that had the music. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't listening to the whole film, and then 
but you would hear the people talking. And I thought that was like just really cool. I loved how the music sounded so different from movie to movie and yeah. and kind of captured the like pace and the you know climaxes. So I, I loved listening to that. And then I think yeah, one or both of my parents, I don't remember who, probably was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, so so I was lucky enough to get uh, piano lessons, uh, which I guess would be classical lessons. I mean, they were just basic piano lessons, mm -hmm. but I guess that means classical. But then in, in um, high school, it, it happened that our town had a very good jazz band. Like the high school music program was good when I was there. It had been, I think, cut when my brother was had gone through it like four years earlier. They oh actually no. cut the band. There was no band. Which I know. And then there was, a, uh, I don't know, some kind of a uproar and they figured out how to have a band and <laughs> I don't know what that I'm sure something else I cut that was sad Aww. but uh, uh, but I, when I was there there was a really good music program and there, the jazz band was really good and I had not uh, been exposed to a lot of jazz I mean other than probably in film scores I had taped like there were probably mm -hmm. some jazz influenced film scores like I think Anatomy of a Murder had a Duke Ellington score Ooh. that I so I had like that mm -hmm. but um but uh is this story getting way too long? No, no, no. no. We okay. were only at measure like 20. Oh, okay, okay, great. Um, so, so uh, yeah, so I, I got into jazz because the older kids in high school in the music program were like interested in jazz and good at it. And, um, and also it was the first thing, this probably ties back to whatever annoying thing I said to you in the first week of grad school, that I was excited by the fact that in jazz people could also kind of talk about the like look under the hood of the car uh -huh. and like how does music work because music is like so mysterious and exciting and and um among jazz musicians there was a facility to both enjoy music as pure music but also kind of get nerdy and like talk about the chord changes and all this stuff and to me I was like oh my god there's like there's some kind of like <laughs> machinery behind this that's so exciting um I don't think I really had that good an understanding of it, but it was just exciting to feel like yeah. you were you were looking behind the curtain. So I got into jazz, and um, so throughout high school, I was really into jazz, and pl I played jazz trombone, actually. Yes. So I, I, on the one hand, had piano lessons, but I was uh, playing jazz trombone. That was the instrument I picked up uh, in school band because nobody else wanted to play the trombone. Oh. And my piano teacher apparently noticed that I loved like, bashing the low end of the piano. Huh. So... They thought, well, this could be great. I'll definitely get to play because, you know, there aren't that many positions <laughs> in your playing something like trumpet. Probably everyone wants it, but there were no trombonists. Uh -huh. So um, I got I uh, played jet trombone in the high school jazz band. And uh, OK, well, I was going to go on some tangent, but we have enough tangents. So I then I got to college. <laughs> and basically, that's when uh, I, I was trying to figure out what am I actually going to study for real? I still thought I would maybe go this like study science. And mm -hmm. I always love. Uh, you know, science when I was in high school and under and uh, again, tying cool. into that nerdy thing. Like again, <laughs> like, so the world magical and strange yeah. and wait, there are rules and like, how <laughs> does that happen? You know, so I definitely liked that element of science and was studying it uh, while also taking music classes and for the first time sort of classical music theory and seeing how it, it was interesting because it was a different way of talking about the same thing. I mean, I don't think any music theory really fully gets at all at the mystery of like, why does music sound good? Why is it emotional? And Do you think they thought at the time that they were really getting to it? I definitely, I, I don't know about other people, I definitely believed that like if I study enough jazz theory and enough mm -hmm. classical theory, like the answer will be presented <laughs> and then at some point I'll be like, aha. <laughs> like, you know, I even read into like the history of music. Like, when, mm -hmm. did chord, when did we first get chords? Thinking that yeah. like if I studied that, I would learn the math. And instead it kind of, it, it really, I mean, 
and maybe this is just my ignorance or my I couldn't get there mentally, but <laughs> I certainly came to the conclusion that, you know, there are, you can talk about how the sound works, how you build chords, you can talk about these things, but the basic biggest things about what ultimately is satisfying musically or yeah. what, uh, you know, touches you emotionally and all that, I have, am no closer to understanding that. And I gave it up like a couple years into college. I was like, oh, that's not really the point. No, you know, I'm sure, it you know, it's no, spoiler, like, that's not the point. Like, you know, there isn't a manual to writing music. It reminds me of that thing about how like some games are solved games and, you know, there's a, an algorithm and that's how you win any game right. and other games are not solved and music right. is not a solved game. Right. Mm. So do you, well, yeah, so how do you feel about that? I mean, as a composer. I tend to agree. I mean, I feel like it's tricky because part of me wants to say that, like, there's no such thing as objective taste and everyone loves what they love and it's all. But yet, we see that there are some things that are really loved by very, very, very <laughs> many people right. and some things that are loved by almost no people, which makes <laughs> me think that there's some order to it all. Right. But. Yeah. Well, I agree with that. I, yeah. I, I, I certainly have not come to the conclusion that. Well, because it's weird. I guess I guess the point is conclusions aren't really the point. Because at the mm. end of the day, you start to be like, I like this. I don't like that. Oh, cool. This thing I like. Other people like that, too. Mm -hmm. This other thing I like, no one likes that. <laughs> so of the two things I like, I'm going to steer toward the thing I like that other people <laughs> like. Like, I definitely have had that experience. Yeah. Um, and so there is, yeah, I agree with you that clearly there are, and I think we would say, like, oh, things that work. And, you know, when people are revising you talk about mm -hmm. what does this work or does it not work and people might agree on what works and doesn't so yeah it's certainly not that we're totally adrift in like a <laughs> sea of you know every everything is equally good and yeah no you're right about that what do you think about that well i mean th the thing that i'm thinking about is like i think i think what you said is true but i also think it intersects with like mainstream media mm -hmm. and like just like when something is ubiquitous it's much easier to to either like it or think you like it you mm. know mm. and so i think that adds a whole other element like i think there are plenty of things that are that like a lot of people would like if they were sort of like That's instructed to like it you know right right in so, a way that yeah i think the mainstream media is maybe sometimes leading them to other things that you know are equally worth liking but right so that the danger of we all congregate around the same well i think that's a very real danger too well this is the thing everything is like a tightrope <laughs> walk between these crazy but yeah. oh but i that can bring back to collaboration that uh -huh. because i think if you actually start thinking like honestly when i'm writing i'm never thinking about like some large vague giant audience because i think that would uh, for me that would kind of just kill the both the inspiration and the organicness of it. But I think that's where, for me, the collaborator is important because yeah. people are very different. And if the two of us, like when I talk about the thing, okay, there's a thing I like, I have this little circle of things I like. Well, what are the things I like that other people will also like? I don't ever really think about that in some vague, gigantic sense, but yeah. I do think of it with the collaborator because I'll yeah. often, sure. I'll play two versions of a song and they'll be like, I love this one, I hate the other one. And I'm like, oh good, I love that one too. I also liked the other, but since you hate it, <laughs> <laughs> this is where we match. And so in that, I think that's the steering thing. And that's why I think the collab, for me, the choice of a collaborator is very important because, you know, ultimately it, it really is influencing the sound that's coming out of me. And I think, and that I feel good about. I think what you were referring to is dangerous, that if you, if I say weren't, 
instead of doing that with a collaborator, if I were trying to do that with like the larger world, mm -hmm. I think then you might just be running away from the things that make you individual and yeah. running toward the thing that everyone's <laughs> congregating around and just doing that. And, yeah. and I think that's probably also a recipe for disaster. So <laughs> I'm really curious about something you just said, which is, I, I guess what I, my question is like, is there like, do you feel any like ego about yourself as a writer, like in collaboration? Because like you, you just said, you know, you'll run two different things by your collaborator. They'll say this one I like, this one I hate. And you're just like, cool, I'll throw this one away and we'll go with this one. But like, is there like, I guess, because yeah, as an actor, totally. I don't have a collaborator in the same kind of way. So I'm just curious about that yeah, dynamic. Yeah, in that equation, who is your would The director, like, I guess, mm -hmm. or my scene partner. But it's but it's not, there isn't, we're, we're not both literally creating the right. same thing right and they're not going to they're know? not going to be like that gesture you did we we're now throwing <laughs> out that gesture and choosing right. this gesture right. you know, it's not literal like that but right. i guess like i mean when you think when i think of a writer in my head i think of like you know their artistic voice or whatever mm. and i think in a in a collaboration and i mean i'm curious about both of your answers for this but i think in a collaboration that artistic voice has to get sort of funneled into a joint artistic voice mm. with your collaborator and like is there I, I don't think ego is the right word but like do you understand what i'm getting at sure but ego is also i mean i think you're right that maybe they're these are like several closely related concepts yeah in terms of like because there's the voice question i think that one might be easier for me to answer okay i also feel like every anything i say i could also disagree <laughs> with so, but we're just gonna run with it we're gonna run with everything that the thing with voice i do feel like you kind of if you're writing sort of honestly, you kind of can't help but write in your voice. Uh -huh. So that if you're coming up with things that are honest expressions of either your inspiration or in this case, because we're talking about musicals, from the story or the character, uh, if, you're, if you're honestly writing from that, then I feel like it will be in your voice because it just it came out of you. Which means that if my collaborator is choosing one thing or another because it better matches their voice or just their taste or whatever it is, I'm not really worried about will it be my voice because at, at the end of the day I wrote it. I think that that if I were working with a new collaborator and they kept hating everything I did, then I think I would start to get worried of can I be myself in mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. or do I have to kind of become a different person and that's not going to happen. I think that can be a really <laughs> difficult if it's a, you know, I, this probably happens a lot with two people who are thrust together yeah. and then they really don't click so that someone has to become what the other person wants and I think that probably like in any relationship, that's yeah. not good i mean i i don't want to ask like a difficult question of like julia has that ever happened to you but <laughs> I don't even think, I mean, anything that relates without incriminating anything i mean i mean what it makes me think of is grad school when we had to work with a mm, different mm. collaborator every week or two right. and it was sort of the scramble to figure out again where do we overlap even in terms of topic like what sorts of stories are we both interested in telling right i do feel like for better or worse i so much of the way i know how to think about writing is sort of from my voice and like, what do I think is gonna be cool? I don't feel like I have very much capability to change very far from that mm. period. And I feel like, luckily now that I've been like trying to do it for long enough that so you can point to something and say like, that's my voice. I sort of sound like this, you know, right. you can either like opt into this thing I do or not. I love the idea of being able to do more different things. Well, but th well, that's interesting because yeah, that actually introduces another kind of topic, which is uh, there is probably a spectrum on how much you can say that person has an identifiable voice or not. Yeah, so even yeah. though what I just said was like, oh, I feel confident it's my voice. 
part of the thing may be I don't associate. I I guess, you know, I remember this being told to me like, like a long time ago when I was starting. Someone saying like, oh, well, you need to have a recognizable sound. I think I was talking about some composer where I was like, oh, I love that in this period of their career, they always sounded different show to show. And mm -hmm. then in this period, they kind of were writing in this one thing. And the person was like, that's because they found their voice. And I was like, oh, is that how you see it? Oh, because I kind of feel like it's all their voice, but oh, I can see how you see it that yeah, way. Like and they were like, and they were like, yeah, and that's why they are like considered great is they found their voice and did those things. Huh. I was like, oh no, I kind of, oh dear. <laughs> like in the same way that I like the film score sounding different. Yeah, yeah. So I, it, it's a self-serving definition <laughs> of voice to be sure where I'm like, oh, voice is your added like kind of your approach to character or your approach to sh overall shapes or your just like what you like and don't like. I think yeah, I agree with that. Well, but there is a, uh, a risk in that that you might then not be definable and therefore be seen to not having uh, to sort of not have a voice. Well, and so this makes me think yeah. of another question I wanted to ask you because you mm. have done music arranging. Yes. Which yeah. I th always thought I've, that's not something I've ever done. And I thought it must be an interesting thing to get in the mind of the other composer and sort of right. mill well, with that. Well, that's a really good question. I mean, the, <laughs> the only person I've really done arranging for was Bill Finn. Um, and that uh, after NYU. And in that case, on the one hand, it's easy because he has such a distinctive style, like such mm -hmm. a strong voice and approach to material that uh, you kind of have no choice. Like, like you know what he wants to do. That if, <laughs> if, if he's working where he goes, oh, and then there's this big climax in the voice. This voice goes like this and this, and you're trying to like kind of follow it. And then you look and you go, I don't really know what he said. But you go, oh, but I, I know what he wants because <laughs> this is how he, how he writes and this is his voice. And then he'll tell you if it's what he wanted or mm -hmm. not. So... With it, with him, it's a, it's probably a different challenge than than um, you know. I, I know some people who have w worked for him as an arranger. Like I think Carmel Dean was his arranger at some point. Uh, but she, in addition to being a great composer, it can also has been able to arrange all sorts of different types of music. Mm -hmm. So I feel like she really has that talent, both as a composer and as an arranger. Like uh, if with Bill Finn, I sort of feel like you kind of become the extension of him. So I don't, I almost don't know if that's the same as what a normal arranger would be doing yeah. because it's more like, yeah, you really get in their mindset. So I wouldn't consider that really in my voice at all because you're sort huh. of just, yeah. right. It occurs to me you could sort of think about the voice question in acting too in terms of like how much you bring like your style and yourself to it. Yeah, yeah. The What you're saying about having a like a definable style or whatever mm. that's definitely a thing that happens to actors oh but oh yeah like there will be people who just get typecast and they you know like as like the play similar roles the... over and over yeah mm. but most actors would are are rebelling against that and want to use the breath of their abilities right and, and it what, sounds like you're feeling similarly yeah and is that for actors is that the kind of thing where it's just because people saw you in that, then yeah. there's a new show, they see a similar role, and they're like, yep. we know the guy can do it. We saw that. <laughs> yeah. We're picturing it. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, a lot of people tend to think of it as like a lack of imagination mm. on the part of the people doing the casting. Right. Um, which is, you know, it, like, it, it's, it's, it is a business at the end of the day, and so if they see something as, as good and commercially viable, then, then who's to say? But, um, right. I guess it's a weird thing about, at least with writer's voice, you're the one doing the writing. But with right. acting, I feel like if you get typed into something just because of like the way you look or who knows why. and Because yeah. right, like you're already in the track. piece, right? Because yeah. within the piece, yeah, that's really an interesting point about like, as an actor, there's a lot you can bring once you're in the show. Mm -hmm. But it's like you have, 
to be in the show before you can do your thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. How is that? I imagine that. I, I guess in the, probably an ideal world, you'd be able to just choose any show. Oh yeah. Type I of mean, character you and want, that's right? what, you know, Julia Roberts gets to do. Why do I keep talking about her on this podcast? <laughs> we know but, you're um, obsessed with Julia Roberts. <laughs> um, is this a thing? I, I just, we, we, it was actually in a similar conversation about, um, actors who disappear into their roles versus actors who like have a distinguishable like sort of mm. like who they are yeah. and then they're really good in the show but they always have their same aura wow. um anyway uh <laughs> what were we talking about well for well for you i guess which which of those do you side with one of those two uh positions like the actor who disappears into the oh yeah i definitely that? don't think i i definitely think i'm the actor who is I, I don't feel super versatile as a performer, just given what I look like and what I sound like and everything. For those of you uh, at home, there's <laughs> a green blob of jelly with two eye stalks. Yeah, so you can see how the how the roles are. It's very distinctive, right? Very. Distinctive. I could be in your show. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe oh! I was. <laughs> your dog. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I think in in like like when i think of that other the very versatile who disappears i think of like um sean penn or like someone who just like you see or i i think of michelle williams a lot like every time i see her in a movie i'm like that's michelle williams because she just looks different even though she doesn't look different but she just becomes this other character but then if you take the parallel back that's like the composer who i feel like who can just fall into any style and like do something so interesting with that style which i do think is like cool yeah yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't put myself in that category in the sense that, like, like I'm very impressed by genre, people who really can master genres mm-hmm. in uh-huh. addition to having their own voice. And I wouldn't say that I'd be particularly conf- confident, like, writing in an authentic particular genre. I don't, I mean, this I know, genre is such a comp. like, I don't even, I'm just opening up a can of words I don't even, like, know anything about. Because I just go, how do you define up? a genre? How do you define a genre? And I don't know. What do you, you must have thoughts on how to usefully use a genre, though. Yeah, well, I mean, definitely in getting inspired. Like, I, I am a believer in, you know, if you listen to a lot of stuff, and especially if you like it, that it will come out in some way. Yeah. So I definitely, when working on particular shows, uh, will either make playlists or often with my collaborator or, you know, uh, Hugh Park in particular is a writer who, I mean, he has a great musical sensibility, he's a great visual sensibility, and will make sort of art and visual play, like a visual playlist, the sort of a musical playlist, and that's what we were listening to while we're writing. So it never comes out of like, Let's now analyze this piece of music and be like, what chord did they use there? And this, mm-hmm. but it's sort of, oh, you're listening while you're writing the scenes, and you're kind of, and so that then by the time you go to write the songs and you've, you're not listening to the playlist anymore, it's kind of, it comes out in some way, even yeah. if the music sounds very different. But yeah. I'm curious just because I'm thinking about this now. Gordon and I are just starting a brand new project, and sometimes when we start a project, it's like pretty clear, like with Pregnancy Pact, it was like, this is probably going to sound something like pop rock because of what it's about. Mm-hmm. And this new thing we're starting, to me, there are no stylistic indicators. And I'm sort of like flailing around being like, what should this thing be like and why? <laughs> How do you... What, I'm curious. What Can you tell us more about sure. the piece? Or? So 
It's an idea that Gordon had after reading this article about a natural disaster in Japan that wiped out this whole town, and everyone left because their town was wiped out. And this one woman sort of stayed behind to rebuild, I think it was a Buddhist temple. So he was just like, I don't want to abandon it. I want to fix it. And it was someone who herself wasn't particularly religious, but sort of found her feelings of tradition and religion intensified when seeing everyone else abandon it. Mm. So ours... It's not Japan. We haven't yet decided what the natural disaster mm. is, but it's basically it's almost a one-woman show mm. about a woman left behind in a town rebuilding a place that's holy for some reason. Right. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. I'd, well, obviously, I don't have no idea why you should, <laughs> but I, but I, I mean, but one thing like that just comes to mind if if it would be like, oh, how have my collaborators and I sort of approached that in the past? It might just be finding. Like like those playlists don't have to be too literal in terms of it can just be I don't know this piece of music really reminds me of that feeling and I don't have no idea why and it could be in any genre and maybe even especially in this kind of case I feel like if I fantasize what the what the first playlist for me would sound like it might actually have all different genres that just somehow have some core that like to you emotionally resonates with whatever image you have in your head of like this that. one woman in this wreckage you know and what does one woman in wreckage sound like to you? Yeah. You know, and then oh, yeah, because like it's more that. about I think it, I think it's mostly about staying inspired rather mm -hmm. than a, a particular goal. Like I will say that in the cases of these other playlists that we've worked with, things end up sounding pretty crazy different. But it just keeps like for us, it's kind of just this inspiring starting place of like you know not starting yeah. in a silent room with a blank page. You kind of mm -hmm. feel like oh we're we're surrounded by other things that are in this world, and now we're just kind of writing more in that world. Oh, wait, that other stuff's gone. Oh, wait, this was a new show all along. <laughs> ah. you know, like, <laughs> I really like that. That sounds, yeah, like fun as opposed to scary, which is always the goal. Because I right. do feel like, right. I don't know if you have this too, but like I have this feeling where it's like, I've written, you know, maybe like five shows and it's for like, okay, there's one that was sort of pop rock and there's one that I did all on tracks and there's one that's like vaguely sort of jazzy, but it's basically just musical theater. And I sort of am like, I have run out of things I know how to do, and I <laughs> just like. But I didn't you? Know. But did you feel when you started each of those new ones? Did you really feel like you knew how to do it beforehand? That's true. No. Right. I <laughs> <laughs> and then you kind of realize you're like, oh, well, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I did some version of it anyway. But this makes you curious about when the thing about voice, because I think of you having a really strong voice. Oh, but you. as you just pointed out, your shows are all really different. So, regardless of what you might objectively be, do you see yourself as a composer who? has one voice and they do their thing, or as a composer who like blends into all these different shows? I see myself as a one voice person and I feel like I need to do the different styles or else things are gonna sound identical. Oh, interesting. <laughs> do you, I would ask you the same question. Uh, uh, why did I ask a mean question that I didn't want to be asked to be? I guess probably I, regardless of what the actual truth may be, I like thinking of myself as the kind of composer who uh, just, you know, disappears into the show because we're you know we're excited about the story and a character and we're organically building it together as a team and and I also I think that's part of what is exciting and inspiring about writing to me is kind of disappearing into this other world and these other characters so to be thinking consciously about like I must match this to my voice would kind of mm -hmm. ruin that illusion for me although yeah. I'm sure I'm doing that to some extent um 
And to tie it back to your question about ego, which was yeah, well, uh, that's what I've been thinking right. about. Well, as you've been answering. well, well, that's the thing. So even though this is how I like to think of myself, and that's sort of part of what inspires me, I'm sure it's also not fully the truth. And certainly, if I, I think for me, ego always comes into play when you're insecure, and I'm sure I have that all the time. So if I if I'm like worried that I'm not coming up with anything, I'm sure I'm much more like, no, this sketch is good. Why can't you all see that? It's perfect. Because I'm worried. I don't know if I have another sketch. Um, I worry that all the time. Whenever I hear about composers talking about like, oh, I just whipped off, you know, like six or seven, and then we tried them. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I feel like I can just barely get to the one I do, and that's about all I've got. Right. Yeah. I mean, so so I think, yeah, for, for me, when the ego comes into it, it's usually tied to insecurity. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm feeling just excited and confident and I'm working, then it's like, I'll throw out thousands of things. And, you know, but it's not so much that I don't have ego. It's more just like, well, when I'm not insecure, you're not seeing it as much because I'm feeling good about uh-huh. the writing process. But but it yeah. also sounds like, I mean, and f- for my money, all writers should do this, but it sounds like your primary goal is just servicing the piece itself and not like as a platform for you as an artist. Right. Well, uh, yes. I mean, certainly consciously. I mean, I, mean, I don't want to sound too noble in this because I'm <laughs> sure... On there, well, that like especially when that insecurity comes into it, I'm sure it's not only that I'm disappointed in myself for failing the characters. I'm sure part of me is worried that I'll get up there on the stage and I'll, it won't be good. So, <laughs> but but you're definitely right that consciously, it's it's definitely not about oh how am I gonna show off or how am I gonna make sure this fits my vision of myself. But it also again helps to have collaborators who you really trust. Yeah. Then. They become the same thing. Meaning, if my collaborator is excited and happy, and and we're both excited and happy about what we're doing, I know that that's that is protecting me. Meaning, like if I have to ram some sketch down my collaborator's <laughs> throat that they don't like, like I mean, I suppose if you're working with a person you don't know or you don't like, then maybe you have to do that, or or you know. But if you're working with people that you respect and you like their work and their taste, then you know, they're doing you a favor by telling you they don't like that sketch and they want to hear another one, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the two can ideally merge when, you know, when things are going well, I guess. Yeah. If that makes it sense. It sort of reminds me of another thing I was thinking about asking you about. I know if this feels like not fun to talk about, we don't have to like talk about it. Sure. But So you and Sarah did Pete the Cat with yeah. Theater Works. Yeah. And I think I remember her saying... That with that project, there are a lot of specific stylistic notes about yes. like, we just want it to be like this. Yes. And what, how sure. that was helpful or hard. Sure. Well, I mean, yeah. And I, again, if I think simply acknowledging that every every writer is going to have different feelings about it, every process is probably different, then I can just say I can describe, you know, what our experience was. And for us, it was actually a very positive one. I think... Um, you know, I mean, it'd be great to hear Sarah's take on this. I, but I remember we talked about this together at something, and I think we seem to have the same feeling about it, which was in the case where you're working with a, an artistic director or a director or a producer who, who you can sort of see their body of work. Mm-hmm. You're working in a specific context that they are very familiar with, mm-hmm. and you know what they do, and <laughs> you like it, and they're very successful at it. L- so, for example, Barbara Pasternak at TheaterWorks USA, you go... She knows this world. She knows the audience. She knows the material. And, and it's not at all in a cynical way. I mean, part of what makes her a great artistic director is she's very passionate about the material. It's not merely like, I know what a kid likes and we will 
go to our lab and put in the <laughs> test tubes. It's more like, you know, it's it's both an enthusiasm and genuine love for the material and also experience. So she's like, I know that if we put a big ballad in there that the writers love, the kids are going to, you know. <laughs> but I will say, right, fault, they're going to fall asleep. Dumb kids, not appreciating Don't ballads. <laughs> right. Um, but it was, it was fascinating that sh- what she's also great at, Barbara Pasternak, was that she kind of knew the right amount to give us a certain amount of like, this is what I think is going to work, but only so far as it seemed to kind of work with us. Because mm-hmm. there were things we were excited about that we wanted to try and that she was like, great, try it. And not in like a weird passive aggressive <laughs> way. <laughs> Although I remember Sarah did notice like, I think she thinks it's not going to work. But, huh. and we were like, so what should we do? And we're like, well, we have it. Like, let's see what happens. You know, it's our first time doing it. And I remembered that, that there was this spot in the show where like, I like, clockwork the kids all started being like i have a zipper on my jacket <laughs> and it goes up and down and you were like it's like a, it wasn't like it was like all the kids were paying attention and then they weren't wow. and it was right in that moment that that sarah noticed that barbara probably thought it wasn't going to work huh. but that but that barbara uh didn't push didn't push us on that because i think she knew that's something that is fixable within the time frame of their process which is you yeah. do a mini tour around new york city where you can keep making changes and i think she also knows a lot about the artistic process and, and I'm sure has experience with writers about what actually gets the best environment where they're going to do their best work. So there were a lot of specifications, but also a certain amount of, well, let's let you do what you're excited about and learn on your feet, mm-hmm. which is, again, a great benefit and privilege of having a chance to do uh, you know, production experience because then you know, when you're when it's all theoretical and you're saying, no, I want to do what I want to do. But uh-huh. when you watch a thousand kids suddenly not want to watch your show, like you don't care about any. You're just like, <laughs> I want to make I want them to be paying attention to the show. <laughs> so, you know, suddenly all, you know, yeah. and, and and so, yeah. But to your to your first the first part of your question about, well, what were those specifications or. um yeah, I, I think musically it, she was like, I see this as being kind of Beatlesy. 60s, you know, I that's the sound Be I'm hearing for this. Right. That's my favorite one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so luckily that was something that we could get excited about. I didn't know that much about mm-hmm. that period of music, but we're you know I listened to these different reference points and uh, yeah, and so we were able to get excited about it and then kind of write our version. I don't think any of our stuff actually sounds t- like legitimately <laughs> like that style, but. It, but it, close enough, you can hear that that's yeah, what oh, it's meant to. Yeah, And we definitely were like, it has to pass the Barbara test. She's going to listen to it and either like it or not. And But we know to trust her. We're like, right. she's not. I think it's really hard if it's a person you've never worked with before and they don't have anything you can see. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'd seen theater work shows and liked them. So, you know, um, I think Sarah Plain and Tall, we saw yeah. right when we came to New York. Yeah. And I, you know, loved it. Uh yeah, so so it was, you know, we knew to trust basically. I love that. You know what I just realized is we never you never finished your story about how you landed in musical theater. Oh we gosh. got to right because no, because we end the story ended <laughs> with you you were still very firmly in the jazz world. Did it? I don't know. Wow, interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, we you yeah. know we started talking about other things that yeah, are very sure. interesting. So, but I am kind of curious to, to how hear did it how happen? This, yeah. yeah. Um. It was so long ago. <laughs> well, uh, I guess my yeah, the, well, so the thing when you were telling the story mm. that I was most curious about is like, were you seeing musicals at throughout ah, your right. childhood? Great like, question. Um, I know we went to see It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman Ooh. at the Goodspeed Opera House, uh-huh. which oh was God. like 50 minutes away from where I lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
because I was into Superman. That's, that's the middle, you know. Like I, and I Did also your parents had tape. like musicals. Uh, yeah, they, I think they liked them enough uh, at the at the time. Like okay. they weren't like super enthusiastic. My mom is definitely musical. I mean, she's not at all in the music field. She's a a doctor, but she definitely apparently. Oh well, this is okay. Musical experience. This is interesting. Apparently, when I was a baby, she she wanted to. Uh, you know, sing to babies because you're supposed to. But she like, I don't know. She, she, I can't remember what she thought she should have been singing. But anyway, she didn't know the th- song she thought she should know, which I don't know what those were. <laughs> but she did sing <laughs> us a lot of, of like, lullabies. but she sang us like a mix of apparently Christmas carols, like year round, <laughs> and also Irving Berlin songs that she knew from her mother, that her mm. mother had sung to her. And I later... Like Irving Berlin songs, some of them are kind of actually interesting, it turns out, because they have like modulations in them and all these things that you can hear in the melody. I think because he's very, was a very like melody driven writer, that some of them like pivot into other keys, like in the melody. And she, and I realized I knew those songs because she had been singing them to me. And like, because they were just like the things she knew. They were always there. Right. So musical theater, right? So I was unaware of musical theater, but she was like, it's like some weird science experiment where she was literally singing Irving Berlin songs. Into my ear, like when I was a baby. So, oh, so yeah, it's funny. I never would have, if you didn't ask this set of questions, <laughs> I would have like completely left that out. And in many ways, that's probably like actually a huge part of it. It's like oh, early conditioning. That. Well, but in terms of like the conscious path, like yeah, let's the con. So the conscious path. Let's let's. <laughs> you really want to get there? <laughs> I'm uh, very yeah. curious. Well, so um, so let's see. So we occasionally saw musicals. I know I saw Sweeney Todd oh. in high school, and I because uh, New Haven. Shows would come to the Schubert in New Haven uh, on tour, and we saw Sweeney Todd, a production of Sweeney Todd. I remember thinking that was, like, really cool because it was really, really different, really crazy. The music sounded yeah. like, to me, film music because I was like, oh, oh it's, like, dark and filmy. It's yeah. not, like, show tuny. I love this. That also, for me, is one of the first shows I remember being just, like, raptly engaged with. Mm, right. Oh, I think I can hear that in your music still. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so I remember liking that, and I, of course, liked the film of West Side Story. Uh, I, I don't know why, but I, I, I knew that. So that, uh, the reason I remember this is that when I was later more exposed to musicals or considering musical theater, I was like, well, I know Sweeney. I love Sweeney Todd, and I love the f- the film of West Side Story, <laughs> which I had seen for some reason. We must have had a cassette of it because I know I'd seen that a bunch. Um, but the way it happened, I uh, in college, I also started learning about classical music and, uh, um, you know, opera. I guess, mm-hmm. which I found on the one hand ridiculous like I would never want to like sit through an opera in a theater I should be really careful what I'm saying that's not always true I'm sure there are exciting productions and certainly new operas it can be interesting but we love your race fabric oh right (laughs) yes some people we know well are are, uh right uh stars in the industry so uh, but I'm talking about sort of you know in college it was you know mostly the traditional repertoire or, or um but I, I was really excited about how some of them were put together, like especially Wagner, that these Wagner operas that in many ways are, you know, ridiculous, um, just had this really interesting way of being built by, you know, I I don't know if you know, but these like little, I'm sure you know, Julia, I know Sam, but like <laughs> these light motifs, they're called, you know this. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. If, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what, like Wagner, it's like, a, yeah, I don't know how widely that, well, it's, it's also used a lot in film score, like John Williams, everyone says, oh, he uses leitmotif. But in Wagner, it's like even more so. It's like the whole thing is like a fabric of these, it might be 30 little musical ideas where like at any moment, 
somehow they're being woven together. And beyond the nerdiness, part of what was exciting about that is that life is like random and scary and crazy and horrible things and you can't predict anything and you feel like you have no control. And in, in these pieces, somehow everything is woven into this tapestry where like it feels both totally spontaneous, but then when you listen a second time, it feels like totally determined because it's made up of like all these little compositional elements. Uh -huh. And I think just on a gut level, that was exciting because it was kind of a vision of life or the world that was like emotionally resonant and exciting. And I'm sure I also like that when you look under the hood, there's like a nerdy reason for it. <laughs> so I was like, uh, so I got, but, but definitely, um, yeah, I kind of fell into some of these, you know, like Tristan and Isolde. There was a period where I, it was like uh, uh, olives, I guess, for some people where like, I first listened to it and I was like, that sounds like a mess. I don't like it. I don't. But then I find myself like thinking about it. I'm like, oh, but it's kind of got under my skin. I'm going to listen again. But I think I don't like it. Well, I'm going to hate listen. And I'd be like, oh, it's kind of like. And so I got into that, the, yeah, that those building blocks, the motivic building the and the, the really interesting chords that, again, having really been into jazz, that much more than other classical music was kind of of that world of like really oh. interesting chromatic harmony. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, for me, like jazz and Wagner were probably two, you know, yeah, influences, even though like the bombast of Wagner is not something I use or connect with. But hmm. does that make any sense? So I, I still didn't answer sense. your question. Yeah. So I got, <laughs> I keep trying to not get like, how did I get into musical theater? Wow. I'm sure some psychologist could analyze this. Why do I not want to tell them? Uh, so, because I can't exactly remember. So I was into all these different types of music. I was into this, all of them. Oh, storytelling. I think most of the things I like, like film score, um, and, uh, and, you know, certainly this opera stuff was storytelling related. Uh, jazz, you'd, you might have to stretch a little bit, but certainly the improvisation that we, as it was taught to me, was very much about, again, also motivic, like, the Wagner thing. What I liked about jazz was you take a little motivic idea and you kind of build it out during your solo and it's like mm -hmm. having a conversation and you are trying to give it. So so certainly like storytelling as as it connects to music was something that clearly like connected with me and I always liked. And then at the end of college, it came this question of like, okay, well, so what are you going to do? Are you going to go into science or are you going to go into what? What would the other thing even be? And so I, I had seen some musicals, but it was not the first thing I thought of. In fact, what I tried to do was get a grant so I could study, because I could kind of delay the decision. Mm -hmm. As it happened, it, uh, I had been studying German in college as a side thing because a roommate who was into linguistics had said the ha the you know the most fun thing you can do is learn a foreign language, huh. and and I thought, well, I'm young, I want to do this. So <laughs> so uh, on the side, you know, I was learning German, and then it turned out there are these different travel grants where if you speak a language for the sake of like, you know, friendship building, <laughs> you can get these grants to study your in your field in that country. So I was able to to st continue studying music essentially and to delay the decision. Uh, and during that year, basically looked around at all the different types of you know film scoring, opera, musical theater, and. Uh, I thought my stereotype about film scoring was that you have to live in LA, you have to be kind of cutthroat, and you also definitely, your satisfaction probably depends on meeting a great director who loves your yeah. work and you form a lifelong bond mm. and write amazing things for Alfred Hitchcock or <laughs> Steven Spielberg or, you know, uh, whoever it might be. So uh, I thought, I don't know if that sounds like me, and it sounds very high risk. I'm mm -hmm. a risk averse person. And then uh, opera, I didn't really 
connect with the I felt they weren't funny enough to be honest I Hmm. felt I don't know they're not down to earth like they have cool things at times but I don't know and also they're not the kind of thing like my parents or brother like couldn't go to a contemporary opera and and you know kind of connect with it I mean I mean that's a gross oversimplification and this was again whatever 10 more than that 10 11 years ago um Although, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't mean to at all uh, overgeneralize there because, of course, there are exciting things. But, yeah, opera, I thought, ah, it just doesn't quite have that down-to-earthness of the storytelling. You know, the people aren't quite people enough for me. Yeah. Even the type oh, of I vocal, even the, even the vocal production, um, you know, is it's of a different world. It doesn't sound like talking, and I like how in Which I think is people, what some people love about it, you know, because exactly. it is so otherworldly yeah. and so Well, right. Well, I should... Uh, I can't. I know. I need to finish this before I move on to the next thing. But the mm-hmm. musical I'm working on right now with Hugh Park is about an opera singer huh. in 1930s <sighs> Korea, and we're using all sorts of opera. The character sings opera in it, and oh, and wow. we've totally like fallen in love with the unearthliness of that voice and everything that it kind of represents. Of like, it's so unhuman. Yeah. You know? I guess that's not a word. It would be. Well, I'm gonna call it unhuman. It's incredibly. <laughs> uh, you know, it it sounds like nothing that you know you would hear in daily life and that says something also about you know it's a it's a it's just a regular human guy but he's right. producing the sound you know right. but i also do think that's such a funny thing about like you know in theory i guess you could tell any story as a musical you could tell any story as a play you could tell any story as an opera but i always find it a little bit odd when you're telling the idea of telling these very human stories in opera because right. it does it feels sometimes a little bit at odds. Right, right, and that when you find a good reason for it, then it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but so then so here we go. I was like musical <laughs> theater. Uh, it seems to be a really huge tent. It's like storytelling with any kind of music you want, and uh-huh. some of them sound like opera, and you can't tell them apart from opera, and other things sound like pop music. And anything in between. And there's Sweeney Todd and there's Hairspray and there's, you know, uh, Michael John Lacuse's show. Like everything sounds so different that, uh, yeah, you can kind of do whatever you want. So I think I thought, oh, that seems like it's a little closer. It might be a fit. And also there seemed to be, because there was like the NYU school, it was like, oh, and there are also like, te- like related teaching jobs. So it's mm-hmm. not as mm-hmm. big a risk. As say it's it's like shoot for the moon or or miss. It's like oh well maybe if I learn enough about this and yet I could, you know there are related jobs I could do either arranging or, you know or teaching. I mean as in fact was the case that those first years, out of school I was playing piano for babies at a place called City I Babes. That. Yeah, City Babes, <laughs> which people thought was a strip club, and I <laughs> let them believe it because oh. <laughs> I thought that sounds cooler. But a it was a strip club with live piano. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it was for babies. It was <laughs> music classes for babies, and then and working as an arranger, and uh, so, so th- it was true that I think musical theater there were, especially for uh, music people, mm-hmm. there are more like related jobs that you can work at. I think it's harder for words people yeah. to find those those jobs, but. So that's so it was. It was sort of a mix of that's, practicality you know and what's big tentness. What's insane tentness. to me is that like you just sold me on like going into musical theater as like a practical decision, <laughs> <laughs> which I've never ever in a million years considered before. But wow, you like denied. you you fully convinced me. <laughs> I've done a horrible horrible thing. No, but oh, it's like it was, it's true for you. It yeah. is. I, well, I think for musicians, again, especially if you don't have a specific dream. I think if I was a person who was like, and I'm going to have a Tony Award-winning Broadway show by age X, then I think it would be a life of horrible disappointments. If it's a life, life of like, can you work enough to support yourself yeah. 
as you know, and, and if you're a musician, again, I do think it's different for other people in the art form. I think mm -hmm. though for composers, there are like related jobs, whether it's music directing, arranging, teaching music, uh, yeah. yeah, there's enough to do. I mean, I don't know, Julia. I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I did the other path because it was going to be such a hump to get me at an employable rate <laughs> of anything other than trying to, like, write the music. I mean, like, maybe if I'd worked hard at it, I could see myself trying to pursue arranging. But, you know, I was certainly never going to play well enough to be a music director. I feel like I just went the total other route of, like, unrelated day job with stability well but the the case to be made for that is that it does you aren't musically sapped by the time True. you sit down to compose so clearly mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways to eat a Reese's <laughs> <laughs> can I ask you so I, I guess I'm curious like now like you said like you didn't come in with like a specific goal or mm. dream in mind but like now do you have like goals in this industry or well, I do something that I think is very helpful, which is to make the goals retroactively. <laughs> so after you pass the goal, you make it your goal, and you go, I did it. Oh, <laughs> so I think that's, I mean, I did have like some very vague, like once I kind of had gotten enough into the industry and out of school and was doing more practical jobs, in addition to writing sort of the pieces I really wanted to write that either, you know, would be done in a reading in an attic somewhere, um, I did realize that there were things, especially like theater works, where I thought, oh, well, that would be a practical goal sometime in my life mm -hmm. to do something like that because then it will have, you know, they they have a reasonably large audience. And, you know, I wanted some of my stuff to get out there and yeah. and um, and also love theater works shows. So I thought, oh, it seems like they also hire a lot of different writers. There's a lot of shows. That seems like a practical, reasonable goal that before I die, I wanted to have a theater works USA show. I don't even know if I articulated it that strongly, but I did... I did want that. Of course, at yeah. the time I first articulated that goal, I saw no way to get it mm -hmm. and did not make any inroads. <laughs> I think I auditioned for some open call with them and failed at it. Mm -hmm. And then it was just years later, um, I think what happened was, oh, yeah, I was all like, I would never use, why does anyone use YouTube? That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I've said so many stupid, I'm sure everything I said in this podcast is <laughs> wrong in five years from now, I'll be like, oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> But um, I, I was like, oh, I don't want to do concerts or post things on YouTube. And whoever looks at those things anyway, it turns out everyone, especially <laughs> producers. So 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 uh, I had done a, one of my uh, a show I had worked on in, in Korea. My scary girl uh, came to NIM. Is that the right acronym? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they performed there for a few performances and uh, they taped it as well. So and I put a few clips from that on YouTube and Barbara saw those and thought, Oh, you would be fun. <gasps> and, uh, and called me up and then said, you know, and it wasn't that then you have the job. It was now here are things you can audition for. And then eventually I think she also said, who do you want to collaborate with? And I said, Oh, Sarah Hammond is this writer I've been talking with and I love her work. And apparently she had also in a, in like, you know, like they have the other, that's usually torture victims, right? They're in the other room and they don't know oh, they're yeah. in the other room. And, well, anyway, <laughs> so I, I don't know why that was the thing that came to mind. But the point is, in her own interview or whatever, she had said, oh, yeah, I'm talking to Will Aronson. I like his work. So then she sort of paired us up and then we, uh, you know, pitched for some things and then got this particular show, Pete the Cat. And then and then I think we, I mean, had a great time doing it. It was, a, you know. I have one question. Yeah. Um, going back a little bit. Okay, yeah. Because I I don't know I'm very this is this is something I had never really thought about before but like from the way that you described 
sort of falling into this or not falling and making a very calculated practical decision retrospectively always um, <laughs> <laughs> after um like and and i asked you your question about like what your goals are in the industry and you sort of said i don't know my question is like like what's keeping you here oh because like because from your answers it sounds like if <laughs> and I don't, I don't perceive this to be the case in, in like who you are and, and what you write. But like from your answers today, like it almost sounded like if there was a better practical decision that you could make tomorrow, you might do it. Well, that there's you know? a little bit of truth to that. Yeah. That, but that I think was more operative when I first got into it. That once I was able to, you know, make a living at it, uh, and then met collaborators that I real that really like are inspiring me and all the stuff that then. It's it is more about the projects like but I would say that I would probably follow artists I like into other media before mm -hmm. I would stay in musical theater to try to find a job in musical theater. So like at this point sure. that like Hugh and I are definitely talking about lots of other projects outside musical theater. And I've started working with like some short story writers doing things that aren't that are, again, theatrical, use music and storytelling, but aren't like trying to be musical theater in the traditional sense. So. Uh, yeah, so I guess it's now I, I would, you're right that I would follow people out of musical theater, but it wouldn't be practical probably anymore. Although the practical thing will always be there of like, yeah. okay, yeah, but what's the, what's my actual job? <laughs> you know, but. Yeah. What's yeah. the short story thing? That sounds cool. Yeah, well, again, it's not like it's an opportunity. It's more mm -hmm. just uh, yeah, but like some, uh, the, the idea it's like uh, taking something that would be sort of like a, you know, a mo uh, short story in the first person it's like a, mo a long monologue, yeah. but sung and using all sorts of motifs and whatever. And That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, Dolan Morgan, had written a short story collection and had talked. We talked in the past about maybe trying to do something like that. And then he finally wrote a text that was specifically meant to be set. And... Uh, <gasps> And then, yeah, we did it. We sort of, so, so far, sort it's just of us. like motives and words and stuff too. Or yeah, like he wrote it in a way that I thought was very musical. I mean, it was not did not rhyme. It mm -hmm. did not. Uh, but yeah, uh, well, I could I could I plug it. It's called "Search Party for Myself." Hmm. It's based on a real news story that he wrote. This based on it was about a, a woman who was taking a tour bus, uh, and then um, the bus stopped. She got changed in the restroom and came back on the bus and then heard that a woman was missing. And so they all started searching for this woman, but it was her. But <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't recognize the description of herself. Oh, and so they searched for hours oh until God. finally <gasps> the woman realized they were searching for herself. Although in Dolan's story, there's a twist where she convinces another woman that she was the one they were searching for. So she huh. gets found and this woman gets to continue to be missing <laughs> because she wanted to continue to be missing. So in a spiritual sense. But anyway, so so he wrote this thing that I thought was very musical and very cool. And uh, and I kept saying, well, are we going to turn it into lyrics? And even though I keep saying I want to do something crazy, <laughs> and then like, but can we make it a little more like something I know? And he's like, no, keep going. Just do it. <sighs> and uh, and I love what we came up with, and I'm excited about it. But it's for not, I mean, you know, he works a full-time job. I'm doing other stuff. But we, yeah, yeah. like, really wanted to do this. So we put, you know, a lot of passion into it. So now we have a thing, and I think we're now figuring out, like, okay, well, where can you get basically a singer mm -hmm. and a string quartet uh -huh. and to do this. And obviously it's only, it's like 12 or 13 minutes. So we'll either have to write more or find other things like this yeah. by hey. other people to like oh, stick then. together. So anyhow, a little off topic, but, but yeah, but so, so. No, but it made me feel better about, I was feeling sad because oh. I was feeling like you don't like, I was feeling like you could leave musicals. Like oh tomorrow. God, no, 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 no. 